going to um, go to a new chapter in Romans. Can you believe it? Uh, Romans chapter 9. And uh, we are going to start, I, I, we, we, we will only get, more than likely, we will only get through five verses tonight, um, but and mainly because I'm, I'm saving uh, the, the last four um, segments of, of dividing up this chapter, I'm saving the last four to try to focus on them uh, together, maybe not in one shot, but really kind of focusing in because that's where you're your biggest um, um, emphasis comes in for chapter 9 and can be a rather confusing chapter when you're reading it. Um, some people will uh, use Romans chapter 9 as a way to promote um, Calvinism and the sovereignty of God and God chooses whom he likes enough to allow to be saved, and God chooses whom he doesn't like enough, and therefore he just doesn't give them any mercy or ability to be saved. Um, and they try to use chapter 9 to, uh, to point out that by what Paul says here. And so because of, of some of the nature of what is covered, I'm not trying to even get close to that tonight. I want to be able to break these segments down and then focus on their purpose of what is being said with each one so as to refute some of the issues that come from this by people, um, should just say the best way, misinterpreting uh, and misusing um, Romans chapter 9 for the purpose of, of things like Calvinism. So we're going to uh, we're, we'll hit those later, but the biggest thing we're going to focus on the first five, five verses here as, uh, as Paul uh, introduces his desire as a whole and his brokenheartedness. For Israel, but um, uh, the in Romans chapter nine, as we always do with each one of these chapters, there there is a prevailing theme uh, that I I perceive and I see as I read this chapter, and there's also um, at least a couple, if not a few verses, um, that will encapsulate that theme as a whole uh, in that one chapter. And so, to start off tonight with this chapter, let me give you what I believe is the prevailing theme of Romans chapter 9, and that would be God's righteous sovereignty, okay? So the sovereignty of God is not in question. Um, the fact that God is sovereign, that God is in control, that God has the right as the creator of all things to do as he wishes, as you want to, you want to put it in a biblical term, as he wills, okay? God has the right he is sovereign. He is king of kings. He is Lord of lords. He is the creator of all. And everything created is for his pleasure. By him and for him, it was created. And so, um, with understanding that, Paul deals with some of that here in chapter 9. Again, we'll get into more of it later. But I will say that the, the key verses, there's three verses verse 14 to verse number 16, I would say encapsulate the overall theme of what Paul is dealing with within those three verses uh, for the most part. Verse 14 to verse 16 says, uh, what shall we say then? Is, the, is there unrighteousness with God? Now, you'll have to understand, we'll, we'll visit later what he says prior to verse number 14 
and it, it qualifies why he asked the question, so what are we going to say to all this? Is, is, is there unrighteousness found in holy God? Is he unrighteous? Uh, and uh, he answers very quickly with an emphatic, God forbid. In other words, of course not, absolutely not. What are you thinking? All right, that's, that's the whole idea of what he's saying. Hey, is there unrighteousness with God? Absolutely not. So if, if God is fully holy and righteous, and there is no unrighteousness in him, what Paul is pointing out, how do you qualify the truth that we know in some areas in the area of knowing that God will, will bless those whom he decides to bless. He'll not bless those or, or curse those whom he decides to curse. He'll show mercy to those whom he desires. He'll, he'll not show mercy to whom he desires not to. And, and what he's saying is, how do you qualify that God would not show mercy to somebody? How do you qualify that he chooses in his will not to bless a life, but to allow that life to live the curse of sin. Okay, now I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm teasing you a little bit with what Paul, because I can't answer all that tonight. But Paul gives answer as he's speaking to, to, to those of Israel. He's focusing on, he's giving answer as to why, and I'll give you a little understanding, just a basic, why are there Israelites that are not automatically children of God because of the promise of blessing of God. That's what he deals with. God promises that all of Israel is blessed by him. Does God go back on his promises? Did God change his promise? Did God stop his promise? So you have, you have uh, Jews who are saying, hold on a second. No, we're God's children because we're Jews. What he's dealing with is there are actually those who call themselves and are of the physical nature Israelites, but they're not of the spiritual forgiven children of God. How can that be? We are the promised blessed people. And he answers in this, in this chapter. He does answer, but you'll have to wait for that because we're not there. But you got to understand what Paul's dealing with who he's dealing with, and we see that in the first uh, couple of verses. But let me continue on to verse number 15, um, because it asks the question, is there unrighteousness with God? And it says, God forbid. Verse 15, for he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. And what he's dealing with, he's saying, it's not... Being a child of God is not of him that says, well, I, I want it. Okay, great. Just because you say you want it because it's your will to have it, it's not your will that gives you the privilege of being a child of God. Well, I'm going to work for it and earn it, him that runneth. You can run all you want. You can work all you want. You can do all the perfect things you possibly can, and in man's eyes, you can be a really good person. Doesn't mean that you have given yourself the privilege of being called or the ability of being called a child of God. But where does it come? It comes of God that showeth mercy. 
So he is specifically, once again, and we saw it in, in earlier chapters we've already dealt with, where Paul is just hammering away at the, the, the chained up mentality of the Jewish people of Israel that just think that because they are Jews, they are God's people, they need nothing else. I'm a Jew. I am of Israel, and we are special. And he's coming back around to it again and just going, <laughs> here's your problem. You think that because you're of Israel, you're automatically given what you think you have earned because you willed it or because you worked for it. It doesn't work that way. It's only of God. And so that's what he's pointing down to. And so when you look at these three verses together, you understand he is dealing with the sovereignty of God. Who's in control of it? Who, who authors hope? Who authors salvation? Who gives salvation? Who gives the privilege of being called the sons of God? Who is it that gives that to anyone, Jew or Greek? Who is that? It's not him that willeth it for himself. It's not him that worketh it for himself or runneth. It's him that is in control of all things is the sovereignty of God, God himself. And so those three verses really encapsulate the, the entirety of the main theme of God's righteous sovereignty here in chapter 9. Now, uh, go with me very quickly to the, the first five verses, and I'm gonna, we're going to hit this and, uh, and, and show you, lest people think that Paul is mean and Paul is cruel and Paul doesn't have compassion, and boy, he just loves p- pressing the buttons to get people mad. Uh, some people think that of Paul, but uh, unless somebody was to, to get that mindset, you can't skip the first five verses of chapter 9. Because Paul presents here, there, there's actually five segments in, the cha- in chapter 9 that you can break this chapter down into. And verse 1 to verse 5 is the first segment. And that is Paul's broken heart for the lost of Israel. Understand, Paul's not speaking of Israel's history and, and, and the, the deep theological understanding of the blessing of God on Israel. He's not dealing with that. He is strictly dealing with the understanding that, that salvation by grace is through Jesus Christ. And just because you were born an Israelite doesn't make you an automatic eternal child of God. What does that? Knowing Christ receiving Christ, receiving God's forgiveness, God's way. And he's dealing with the people that are his people and it breaks his heart to see so many of them having their faith in a traditional understanding of the blessings of Israelites instead of placing their faith in Christ. They're hung up on their history, not realizing that the price has been paid and all must accept God's forgiveness, God's way. No one is born with a right and automatically forgiven. Doesn't mean that Israel's not, not given blessings. Doesn't mean, and he, and he deals with some of that. Doesn't mean that Israel doesn't have the word of God of blessings on them, but the blessings do not equate to forgiveness just because they're an Israelite. And that's what he's trying to get through to them, get through their thick heads. Here's your biggest hangup, and it's a problem. And he, he shows in these first five verses, especially, he shows just how compassionate he is and how, if you want to put it this way, how passionate he is about Jews 
accepting Christ. In, in verse 1 and verse number 2, uh, you break this down in, into three thoughts that you see in these verses. But verse 1 to verse number 2, you see his honest declaration of sorrow. He says, I say the truth in Christ. I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. Well, what, what, what is he talking about? Well, he's trying to lay the foundation of what he's about to speak concerning himself. I say the truth in Christ. I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. What he's saying is before God, I promise you, here's how I really feel. That I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. He said, I, I'm not just throwing out platitudes and I'm not just throwing out, make you feel good about stuff. And, and, and um, uh, what, what do they call that, that, uh, that statement they, they use today for somebody um, who, mm, it's a political statement used to, to describe somebody um, uh, who claims something that has nothing to do with them just so they look good for that group of people. Well, yes, but <laughs> you're right. Uh, um, but there, there's a particular term, it's a two, I think it's a two-word term. I cannot remember the, what it is, but um, what's that? Well, there's that one. That's not the one, though. No, no. Um, I'm going to think of it as soon as we're done. But... Um, uh, but, but like, okay, so, someone, someone claiming to, to have Indian heritage just so they can be part of the Indian heritage. Huh? Yeah, yeah, the whole, yeah, that whole stuff, yes. Okay, that's, that's the first one that comes to mind. But, yeah, yeah but they, the thing is, he's, he's trying to tell them, get back to Paul, uh, instead of politicians. But what he's trying to tell them is, I am not just trying to tickle your ears. I'm not trying to gain your favor by making it sound good that I oh, I really feel for you, okay? That's, he's saying, I am being honest with you. I am being truthful with you. I promise you before God, I have great sorrow. And now he, he, he lays that out, his honesty of declaration of sorrow. He lays that out in verse number one, heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. But now he describes in verse number three what he's talking about. And he defines to them his sorrow based on what he is, he's so tore up about lost people being of the house of Israel, but they're lost and they're going to find themselves eternally separated from the very God they claim to be the people of. And he's so brokenhearted, he tells them what his willingness would be if he could ask God for one thing and it be granted him. In verse number three, he says, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. So he's dealing with his kinsmen according to the flesh. He goes on in verse four and five, describing a little bit more about that. We'll read that in just a minute. But he's, he's saying here, I mean, get what he's saying, get what he's claiming. Before he goes into what seems to be such a, a hard hit of, of information, just like uh, raw truth right in your face. I mean, he, just, he hits them with truth. But before then, he 
pours out his heart with compassion in this letter and says, I could wish if I had the ability, I'm just kind of give you a, a paraphrase of what he's saying if we were to say it today. If I had the ability to ask God to do one thing and he would grant that one thing, I am so brokenhearted for my brethren, or he says, my kinsmen according to the flesh. So he's talking about his physical bloodline heritage, which is going to be of the Jews. And he says, I am so brokenhearted that if I could ask God to place the curse of sin back on me and let me suffer your eternity so you could be forgiven. If he could do it, I would take it. I mean, can you imagine? He's, he's talking to people, some of them he's never even met before, but they're just of the house of Israel. And he's so burdened for the Jews, so burdened for those that call themselves of the bloodline and house of Israel, that they would not, not know the God they claim to be of. And they would never have the forgiveness on their own. He's saying, if I could ask God to place it on me, I would take your guilt. Let me be accursed. Let me take your curse and let you take the forgiveness. That's pretty powerful. He goes on in verse number four and verse number five and he describes the kinsmen according to the flesh. He says, who are Israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory, and the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the service of God, and the promises. Now, he's, he's laying all this out because he's about to go ahead and hammer away at them. He's laying all, he's like, I understand. We, as Israelites, are the ones that, that have, have, have the, the adoption. God, God chose us through Abraham. God chose us to be called his people. And, and the glory that comes with knowing we are God's chosen people, the covenants that were given to us, the giving of the law that we received because they, they, they took great pride in we are the receivers of the law of God. As we already mentioned before, they took great pride in boasting about it, but very little living by it. And that's what he's trying to say. You brag about it, but you don't even follow it. But it, it, he, he's, he's feeding them all these things, letting them know, I am aware. We are the servants of God. We, have, we are given the service of God Almighty. Yeah, I get that. And we have the promises. Yeah, I get that. What he's saying is, I'm an Israelite as well. <laughs> I know all these things. And then he goes on and even gives them a reminder of their history lesson. Whose are the fathers? Now, he's talking about the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the law, the service, and the promises. All these things that are related to Israel, he said, it goes all the way back to our fathers. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, 
And we know who we are. We know where we come from. We know all that was promised. And it goes all the way back. And those, all those things belonging to our fathers have, have been inherited by the children and the children's children and the children's children's children. And here we are today. We are still Israelites. Still the people of God according to the promise and the calling and all these different things. And he says, not only who's all the fathers, it says, and of whom as concerning the flesh, Christ came. <laughs> yeah, it's a special people. Matter of fact, it's through the Israelites, the Jews, God's people, that he sent his only begotten son. That's pretty spectacular. Because you understand, no matter what Paul teaches of the law, no matter what Paul teaches of their history, Paul always gets to pointing back to Christ. All of this is so important to us. And to think that God, on top of all that, that wonderful amount of stuff, that God, on top of everything else, used our people to bring about the birth of his son. Here he is. Here, here comes Christ, right, right back in the picture again. And then he says, who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. What's he re referring to? Christ. He is over all, and he has the blessing of God because God has put all things under his feet, the Bible says. It is all of Christ, blessed forever. Amen. Now, that's five verses. His honest declaration of sorrow his willing desire, if God would allow it, which he, he, he won't, he can't, but his desire is, I would take your curse upon myself and face your hell for all eternity. You're, you're casting from God's presence for all eternity if God would promise to give his people forgiveness through my sacrifice. He said, I'd do it. I'd do it in a heartbeat. He has heaviness and sorrow he said, I understand our background. I understand our heritage. I understand who our fathers are. And I understand that beyond all of that wonderful stuff, that what trumps every bit of it is that through our heritage and through who we are, God chose his people, Israel, the Jews, to bring about the birth of his son because Christ is a Jew. But he's God in the flesh. And through that, he says, who is it that who is over all? Christ. Who is over all and blessed forever. Amen. So he says, as good as we think we are, there's one that has trumped every other Israelite. One who has, who has over, uh, completely overshadows every other Jew. <laughs> and it is the one who was born king of the Jews, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, one day will come back and rule and reign. But at that moment, at that time frame, had of recently given his life, was buried and rose again, and Paul was preaching of Christ. But he was sharing his heart of how heartbroken he was that they refused to trust in Christ because they were holding on to their heritage, that they thought earned them something special. Now, that's the basis 
of the remainder of the chapter. And you're going to have to wait to hear it. All right, because we'll, we'll have to come back and visit that again. And uh, we'll pick up at verse number six. I will tell you, uh, and I'll repeat it, but I will give you this. Matthew Henry put it this way. Um, after all, up to verse number five, he said it like this. Now the difficulty is to reconcile the rejection of the unbelieving Jews with the word of God's promise and the external tokens of the divine favor which had been conferred upon them. How do you reconcile the fact that God told us we were, we were special, we were promised, we were chosen, and yet we're not forgiven? How do you reconcile that God's people could be rejected in the end for eternity? So he begins to go through, and the next four segments, the breakdowns that we're going to look at, um, those next four breakdowns will explain a lot of different things to reconcile the promises that they knew they had from God, and yet the reality that not all Jews are automatically a child of God for eternity. And so that's what chapter 9 is really all about. We're going to get into that and look at uh, the sovereignty of God and how he designed and put things together and what the Jews, Israelites, needed to learn in order to accept Christ, whom they kept rejecting. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll look... Uh, Lord willing, next Wednesday, add a little bit more concerning how Paul qualifies and ties all that together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight for uh, the ability to open up.